this week's Parsha, Parsha's V'yas Hanan, um, we have some of the most beautiful, beautiful descriptive uh, verses in the Torah that talk about the revelation at Mount Sinai. And, and I want to point out some interesting anomalies and, and share with you an unbelievable insight, extremely deep insight into life. So the Parsha goes through and discusses the revelation at Mount Sinai, the giving of the Torah, the Ten Commandments are repeated again in this week's Parsha, as well as the most quintessential Jewish prayer, what I call the Jewish Pledge of Allegiance, the Shema, where we uh, discuss God's oneness. And at the same time, despite all these verses that talk about the revelation at Mount Sinai, verses that say, and I'll read you a few of them, um, um, Remember the day that you stood at Mount Sinai and God spoke to you from the fire. You heard the sounds of the words, but you did not see any image, only sound. And God on that day showed you that All there is, is God. It says that, Ata Horace Ladas Keshem Hu Elokim, you saw that God is God. Ain old Milvado, there's nothing but Him. And the Talmud explains, Rashi explains that at that moment when God spoke about Sinai, the entire universe was ripped open and we saw through to the seven different firmaments and all the upper worlds and the lower worlds, and we saw that there was nothing but God. And that's really the meditation of the Shema. The Shema says, Hear, O Israel, Hashem, Yud Kevavke, which is the source of all existence, is Elokeinu. The word Elohim denotes the name of God, which refers to God's mask, that God wears the mask of nature. God, as he conceals himself, in a physical universe, constricts himself through um, through the physical and in some, so to speak, and the negative things that happen in our lives. Hashem Echad, not that there's one God, but God is absolute oneness. All there, in other words, all there is is God. And, and it talks about that that's what we experienced at Mount Sinai. And yet, at the same time, again and again and again in this week's Parsha, it mentions the following idea. Um, not to worship idols. And I'll read you a few of those verses. God says, God spoke to us at Mount Sinai, but remember that you did not see any image on the day that God spoke to you at Mount Sinai from the fire. In order that you should not la lapse to make a statue for yourself of any image or any form, 
the shape of a male or female. Not only that, not you didn't see a male or female. You also didn't see an animal or a bird that flies in the sky or the shape of anything that crawls in the ground or a fish in the water beneath the earth. Be careful that you don't worship the sky, anything in the sky, the sun, the moon, the stars, as many of the nations worship. So the question is really problematic. Like we say in this partial that we saw that all there is is God, and yet we have to remind it, by the way, don't worship idols. Why would we even think to worship an idol? Why would we think to worship a graven image? Why would we think to worship an animal or or a plant or 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 the stars? When we saw at Mount Sinai that all there is is God, that God is literally all there is, the only power that there is. And and it continues that um throughout the parsha the idea of not worshiping idols actually in, in the in the very Ten Commandments. I am a God who took you out of Egypt. You should not have any other idols in front of me. What do you mean? Why would we do that? You're talking to us, God. You're, you're God. Why would we worship other idols? And in fact, it begs the question of how the Jews immediately after hearing the Ten Commandments went and 40 days later worshiped the golden calf. Now, there's, an, there's another interesting thing that, that I noticed throughout this Parsha is it says numerous times that never before has God spoken to a nation and they lived. You who are here alive before me today, says says God in the Parsha. Now, Several times it mentions that we're alive and that no one ever before has seen what we saw and lived. What's the significance of the fact that we're alive and not dead? And and in fact, the the uh, Talmud tells us that the Jewish people, when they heard God speaking about Sinai, they did die. Their souls actually leapt out of their body and they had to be brought back to life. Another interesting point uh, just to mention here is that the there's a uh, concept it, that the Nash the revelation at Mount Sinai is a unique hist- of historical event in human history that never before did God speak to a nation an entire nation and it's one of the greatest proofs for the ver- verity, veracity of of Jew- the Jewish claim that God gave the Torah to all the nation at Mount Sinai it's almost impossible if not impossible to make up a claim that God or a miracle occurred to an entire nation. How do you convince the descendants of that nation that this event took place? At what time in history was the myth created if it was a myth? Was it the nation that it happened to? You got all the people to to conspire together to tell a story that they knew never happened? Or did you tell it to their grandchildren? Why didn't they hear it from their grandparents who were there? At what point was the story made up? And in fact, it's such a good claim. So why doesn't every religion have that claim that God revealed himself to an entire nation? In reality, every religion in the world, for the most part, starts with God or a deity revealing himself to one person or at best a few people. 
but never to an entire nation. If I wanted to convince you of something, the best way to do it is for it to happen. You know, if I was God and I wanted to prove to you my existence, I would speak to an entire, I would reveal myself in the center of Times Square that everyone would see, then no one could deny that it happened. And yet no religions have that claim. The only claim that comes close at best is the claim of, I believe, the Hare Krishna, that a revelation took place in front of an entire nation. But what happened to those people? They all died. So Judaism makes the claim that, although the Talmud says that our souls left our bodies and we were brought back to life, but that it happened to an entire nation and we were there to talk about it and to recount the story. So, But why the emphasis on the fact that we died, that we didn't die, that we're alive today? So I'll start to explain these questions. And the last point is that after the giving of the Torah, Mount Sinai, the very last thing it says is that um, the, the Jewish people say, um, God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we heard his voice from the fire. We saw today that God speaks with man, and yet he can still live. But why should we now die? For if we continue to hear the voice of God, then the great fire will consume us and we'll die, the Jewish people said to Moshe. What mortal has heard the voice of a living God speaking from the fire and has yet lived? You should approach God, the Jewish people said to Moshe. You do. You go speak to God directly and tell us what he says. We'll listen and we will obey. We'll do and we'll listen. So, and then... The very next thing after the revelation of Mount Sinai is God says, go down and return to your tents. And this is literally like the culmination of Mount Sinai is, is God telling Jesus, well, now go back, go back to your tents, go back home. Why is that the culmination almost of everything of the entire revelation? So I'll start with a, a to answer this question with a, Another question that was asked by the original Rebbe. The original Rebbe was a great Hasidic master, a grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, who at the age of six asked the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the first Rebbe of Chabad Lubavitch, the Balatanya, or Shnir Zalman of Liadi. He asked him the following question. So the, the original Rebbe was six years old, and he asked Lubavitcher Rebbe a contradiction from this week's Parsha. We say the Shema which states that all there is is God. God is absolute oneness. The world of nature is an illusion. And by the way, it's, it itself begs the question, the Shema. We say in the Shema, Hashem, source of everything, is Elokeinu. And the word Elokeinu is the Hebrew word God. But there's a problem with the word Elokeinu. It comes from the word, the, it means that means Elohim, which means plural gods the word for god in hebrew is plural it means gods in the very prayer where we say that hashem is one we also say hashem is gods plural what does that mean so the answer is, is that the gods that we see meaning all the forces that control our life the forces of nature the sun the moon the weather the rain the economy war love it looks like our world is controlled by many forces many warring forces 
many factions that seem to be at odds. And if you look at the world not through the lens of the Torah, you might think that the world is is chaotic, random universe controlled by or many different powers control your destiny. But the reality is that all those gods, so to speak, are really just masks that are worn by the God, the source of everything. What was, what is, what will be, yud hey vav hey, complete oneness. So that's the message of the Shema. All there is is God. And yet the very next verse says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your life, and with all your resources. What is the question that the Rizna Rebbe asked the Balatanya? He said as follows. It's a contradiction. Those two verses completely contradict each other. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad says all there is is God. The very next verse says you should love God. What does that imply? That you're separate from Him. That you exist separate from God and you have to love Him. It's a complete contradiction. And the answer the Balatanya gave him was a six-hour explanation. But doing my best to explain it in less than six hours is as follows. That what happened at Mount Sinai was God revealed himself that all there is was God. What happens when we come face to face with the reality that all there is is God is we cease to exist. Our soul is compared to a flame that wants nothing more than to leap out of our body and return to the source in God. And the more the closer we come to that recognition of oneness, the more our body becomes nullified and our soul literally wants to leap out of our body. That's what happened to Jewish people at Mount Sinai. Our souls leapt out of our bodies. And that's what happens when a person comes close to true spirituality. We have it in the story of the sons of Aaron who passed away uh, in the book of... Um, of Leviticus, because their souls literally jumped out of their bodies. Now, what's unique about the Torah is that the Torah gives us an opportunity to connect to God without leaving our bodies. Every religion says if you want to be spiritual, you have to disconnect from the physical. You have to disconnect from your personality and from your your bodily desires, you have to be celibate, you have to fast, you have to devote yourself to prayer and meditation, disconnect from the world. That's what Buddhism says, that's what Christianity says, Hinduism. You want to become spiritual, you have to disconnect. And yet Judaism says no. What's unique about the Torah and Judaism is that you, the way to connect to God is through the body and through the physical world. Because God, in his absolute oneness, was all there was before there was a world. The goal isn't for us to dissolve ourselves back into the oneness, then there'd be no purpose for the world. The goal is for us to connect to the oneness, to experience the oneness. And listen to the the recording that we just posted a few minutes ago about uh, about Tuba, Tuba Av to get a, a, a further insight into why God created the world. But God ultimately created the world in order for us to experience oneness. That means while not burning up, while not dissolving in. 
God himself is a fiery, consuming flame. But what's unique about Judaism is that we can connect to that flame through the intermediary of the body, which causes us to not burn up while connecting to God. That's the idea of mitzvahs, to take the physical world and to elevate, to connect to God through the physical, through how we eat, through how we conduct our business, through our marriage and our relationships. And that's the message that's repeated over and over again in this parsha. So why do we need to be warned not to worship idols if all there is is God? The answer is, is because at that moment that we saw all there was was God, our souls leapt out of our bodies and God had to put us back into a body. That the second we come close to God, we have to immediately run back into our body in order to maintain that relationship without dissolving into the oneness. The body is essential in that relationship. In fact, it's the most important ingredient. We need the, the body in order to have a relationship with God. It's like the metaphor of a mother, a pregnant mother, pregnant woman. The time that the baby is within her, she and the baby are completely one. It's a symbiotic relationship. There's no separation. They're one being. But that's not called a relationship. Relationship requires two beings coming together as one. The child and the mother can only have a love relationship when the child is born. Separate and disconnected, cold and alone, coming back to connect in intimate oneness with the mother. That is relationship. God wants a relationship with us. In order to have a relationship with us, we have to be separate from him. That's the beauty of this world, is that through the disconnection, through the challenges, through the hardship, through the fact that God is hidden, we actually have the ability to connect to him in an unbelievable way. And so this week's Parsha, the Shema states, all there is is God. And the very next verse says, and you also exist. And the goal is to love God. In fact, when we say the Shema, we say a different verse in between. Baruch Shem Kavod Va'ed, which is not in the Torah, not, but it is a, it's a tradition that we say after the Shema, we say the word, verse Baruch Shem, which, ha, which states that God's kingdom is also one. What does that mean? So the Shema says, all there is is God. That's called the upper unity, the absolute oneness that existed before creation continues to exist. Then the next verse says that God's, blessed is God's kingdom, the name of God's kingdom, which the, uh, the Kabbalistic and Hasidic sources explain. It talks about the lower unity. What's the lower unity? What's God's kingdom? The pieces and the parts of this world. That those pieces and parts are also one. We don't see it. We have to work hard to see the unity in the multiplicity. But that's our job in this world. And that's a greater revelation of God's unity. He's actually in this world. Not when everything is one, like the unity above, where all there is is God. That's like singing in, like there's two ways to sing. You can sing in unison, where everyone sings the same note, or you can sing in harmony, where everyone sings different notes, different instruments, but they come together as one. And the greatest revelation of God's oneness is not when everything's the same, but it's when everything's different. 
but comes together to reveal the one oneness that's the that is the mosaic world that we live in our job is to take all the colors all the experiences all the pleasures of this world all the people and put them together in a beautiful mosaic that reveals the harmony and oneness of god that's the messianic vision where everyone will come together as one but while remaining separate and different so that's the message of the shema is that we're separate from god our soul wants to get close. It goes closer and closer to connecting and to disconnecting from the physical and to melting back into the unity of God. And then we get blown back into our body separate from God because it's through that separation that we can actually continue to grow close, not by abandoning the physical, but by connecting through the physical. And that's why the culmination of the whole experience of giving to our God says, go back to your tents. Go back to your homes, go back to your spouse, and go back to continuing engaging in physicality in the home. That's really where our relationship with God takes place. It's not in the synagogue, but it's in the marketplace and in the home that we really reveal God's oneness in this world. That, I believe, is the message of the Parsha. And what's so unique about Judaism is that we have the ability to not die, to connect to God while living. So I want to bless us all to connect to spirituality. We should all be blessed to have a moment. And if you've never had this moment, I bless you. You should have a moment of true spirituality, of a desire to just melt back to the oneness, but that you should then take that inspiration and, and go into the, the multiplicity, into the world of physicality of work and relationships and the hard work of having good relationships and going to nine to five job while remaining connected to spirituality and unity and oneness wishing you a beautiful shabbos